0: Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we just ask that um, in everything that we do and say this morning, God, that you would be glorified. Um, we thank you for the gift of moms, uh, and I pray that each mama in the house today would just feel very um, valued and honored today, God, and um, we just put you first right now, and everything that we do this morning, God, we put you first, and we honor you this morning, and we thank you for all that you're going to do, God, and we just ask that we would open up our hearts right now, every single person in this room, to receive, God. Um, God that what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Exodus if you want to open your Bibles. Anybody got their Bibles with them? Yay. It's nice to carry those things around. So Exodus one and starting in verse 18, we're going to talk about some of the women that were involved in Moses's life. So a lot of times we hear the story of Moses and he did amazing things. He brought all of the Israelites out of slavery um, and eventually brought them to the promised land. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about the amazing women and mamas that helped him get there. So Exodus one, starting in verse 18, I'm just going to at the backdrop for what was happening in Egypt at that time. So Joseph, we know the story of Joseph coming into Egypt um, as a slave, but he got great. He had great favor with the Pharaoh, but Joseph eventually died. And also that Pharaoh died and a new Pharaoh came into power. And this Pharaoh forgot all about the favor that Joseph walked in. All he could see was that the Israelites had moved into Egypt and all of a sudden they are multiplying and they are prospering and the Pharaoh is jealous. How many people know an insecure leader is a very bad thing? It leads to very bad things, which it did in this case. So the Pharaoh's insecure, he's jealous of all these Israelites and he's thinking, how can I stop them from multiplying? And he decides to have an edict that um, he actually asked a couple of midwives. That's why we gave a gift to the midwives. Midwives are awesome. He asked a couple of the Hebrew midwives. He summoned them to the palace, and he said, you're going to help me um, quit for the Hebrews to quit multiplying. He asked them, and, and think of this, midwives and doulas actually assist in bringing children into the world. He's asking them, I want you to kill every baby boy that's born to the Hebrew women. And what's so incredible about these two midwives, and it actually mentions their names in Exodus 1, their names were Shipra and Pua. And Shiphrah, the Hebrew name for Shiphrah is beautiful. And the Hebrew name, there's not an etymology name for Pua in the Hebrew language, but we know that she came from the tribe of Issachar, and Issachar means reward. So these two midwives, beautiful and reward, are getting this edict from the Pharaoh, which would be like the president summoning us to the White House and telling us, you have to do this. And so Shiphrah and Pua, they walked away from what the Pharaoh said, and they're like, no way. And what I love about them is in that moment, they decided to fear God more than they feared man. What courage did that take? Like there was something, and I love that about women. There is something so nurturing in the heart of a woman that says, I will fear God more than man. It talks about it in Proverbs 31 um, when it talks about the virtuous woman. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord She will be praised. And so we're just giving a shout out to Shifra and Pua today and all you midwives and doulas out there that help bring um, babies into the world. I'm actually going to give you the definition of a midwife and a doula. It is a woman who is trained to assist another woman during childbirth and who may provide support to the family after the baby is born. And I was corresponding with one of our doulas in the church, Rachel Shell, just asking her, like, what has it been for you since you became a doula? What, what's, like, your most exciting story of helping to assist and to support the birth of a baby? And she talked about the very first woman that she helped and assisted in childbirth, and it was a woman from another nation. She was scared. It was her first baby, and she's in a new nation. And she said, reading, it was so incredible to be there when the baby was born, and all of this woman's natural instincts kicked and it's like, all of a sudden, poof, right? Mamas, we're mamas, right? We just like, okay, we weren't a mama, and now we are a mama. And that happened in that moment, and Rachel said it was one of the most beautiful things that she was able to witness. So Shiphrah and Puah were those women, and I love that they said, no, we're not going to go against our God-given way that God made us. We are not going to kill these baby boys. So guess what? Pharaoh was the original call the midwives, the midwives got called back in. They got summoned back into the palace. And the pharaoh's like, what's going on? What's going on here? How come you're not killing these baby boys? And Shifra and Pua had this other amazing attribute of women and mamas. They were wise, and they had great understanding. So instead of just fessing up, saying we're not going to do it, they were really careful with their words. And they said, we can't get to the mamas in time. The Hebrew women, they just give birth so quickly. We can't get to them. And Pharaoh, not knowing a thing about childbirth, is like, oh, darn, I'm to have to come up with another plan. Those girls are so smart. So he sends out, the Pharaoh sends out another edict. He's like, okay, since the midwives aren't able to get to them, anybody that sees a Hebrew boy being born must throw them into the Nile River. So I just wanted to set the tone. This is the atmosphere. This is the situation happening when Moses is being born. And so the next woman we're going to talk about is Moses' mother. Her name isn't mentioned in Exodus 2, but if you look further in Exodus 6, we find out her name is Jacobed, which means Jehovah is her glory. Isn't that beautiful? And truly, he was, because she ended up birthing a baby boy during this tumultuous time in Egypt, and she refused to let that baby boy die. She refused to let anybody throw her baby into the Nile River. And I don't know how she did it, but the Bible says that Jochebed hid Moses for three months. Mamas, even dads, go with me. Newborn, fussy, crying. I had one that had colic for six months. It is almost impossible to keep a newborn quiet. And they probably lived in tight quarters in a village. Can you even imagine? Just put yourself in the situation that Moses' mother was in and the strength and the courage and the bravery that she walked in, which are some of the beautiful attributes of the women and the mothers in our lives. And not only was Jochebed walking in these amazing attributes to spare her baby, but there were some little eyes in the household that were watching her. We know that Moses' mother had two other children. She had a little boy named Aaron who was about three when Moses was born, and she had a little girl, Miriam, who might have been around, they say, around six when Moses was born. And these little babies... These little kids are watching to see how Moses' mother responds to the time she was living in. Can anybody relate? I mean, we live in some pretty intense times now. Maybe it's not an edict, thank goodness, from the Pharaoh or the president asking us to kill our babies, but we know the things that we're faced with in today's society. It it causes its need for great courage and boldness. So we're also, we're raising up these little kiddos in our household that are watching to see what we do. Are we going to fear God more than we fear man? And so Miriam and Aaron, they're watching what their mom's doing. Three months goes by. Moses' mother realized, I can't keep hiding this baby. This isn't working. And so she comes up with a plan, which mamas and women are super good at. We're super good at plans. We think it through. We're always thinking, what's going to be the best situation? And her plan was she made a papyrus basket and she coated it in tar so that it wouldn't leak. And her idea is she's going to place her three month old baby in the Nile River. Guys, can you even imagine? Some of you, any of you who have three month old babies or less, can you imagine? placing your baby into the Nile River. Now, the Spokane River would be bad enough, but the Nile River is the longest river in the world, and it starts up in the north by the Mediterranean Sea in Egypt, and it goes all the way down to Uganda. So if this baby that Jacobet is placing into the reeds gets loose of the reeds, that baby's going to end up in Africa. I just can't imagine what she was going through in that moment of placing her baby in the reeds. But one of those little babies in her household that she had raised up to walk in great courage and bravery and wisdom, she says, Miriam, I'm gonna put you in charge. Six-year-old, imagine putting your six-year-old in charge of your three-month-old and and that three-month-old being in a really wild river. The other thing about the Nile River is I was kind of studying, like, are there any kind of creatures that live in the Nile River? (laughs) And the first thing that popped up was the famous Nile crocodile. Oh, yeah. It just goes from bad to worse. So little Miriam, from a distance, is watching over her baby brother, which I think is so beautiful. And I think in the household of God, that's we raise our sons and daughters to love each other, their sisters and brothers to love each other and watch over each other. So Miriam's doing that. And in the Bible, it looks like all of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter appears at the river But will you go with me for a second? I don't think that was random. I think Moses' mother had been watching. She was trying to think of a plan to save her baby boy. And in her thinking, she's watching. And she's watching the schedule of Pharaoh's daughter, knowing Pharaoh's daughter was one of the only people that could save her baby boy's life, because it was her own dad who had made the edict to kill all the boys. So I believe Jacobet had been watching the Pharaoh's daughter's schedule and knew Exactly when she came down to the river to bathe. And that's when she chose to put her baby boy in the river. And not only was Jochebed watching, but I believe that Jochebed was listening. What's the report about Pharaoh's daughter? Is she like her dad? Is she murderous and violent and angry and insecure like her dad? I believe that Moses' mom had heard that the Pharaoh's daughter was kind and compassionate and walked in great empathy And so the story goes in Exodus 2 that Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river, sees the baby boy in the basket, and Exodus 2 says she felt sorry for him. And it says she knew he was a Hebrew boy, and she drew him out of the water. And what I find so beautiful about that is the very thing her dad had asked everyone, probably including her to do, is throw the babies in the river. His own daughter is drawing a Hebrew baby, out of the water and rescuing him. And actually, the name Moses means drawn from the waters. And it's such a beautiful, I believe, attribute of women and mothers to be advocates, to be compassionate, to be empathetic. I believe that we all are modern shipras and puas, whether it's natural, some of you are midwives and doulas, some of you in the spiritual, you're advocating, you're supporting, you're assisting other moms, other women, other children. I believe some of us are modern day jacobets. We are bold and courageous, and we are going to fear God more than we fear man. I believe we're raising up Miriams and Aarons in our household that are gonna watch over you know, millions of other kids and and be those that are brave and courageous as well. And I also believe that some of us are like the Pharaoh's daughter. Maybe we weren't raised in the best household. Maybe it wasn't kindness and empathy and compassion in the household we were raised in. But because of Jesus, we have those attributes. And God will put us in situations where we can rescue people.
0: I love that. I love that story. Um, I I was thinking about, I watched Moses, the the story in Veggie Tales. And I love that Like throughout the years, even as adults, there's more and more and more. And I think that's a lot in the Bible. You can always find these more things as you continue to read it. Um, But as I was studying Exodus 2 as well, One of the first things that um, popped out to me was that in Exodus 2, when it talks about uh, Moses' mother putting Moses in the the basket, um, it doesn't say any of the names that my mom just mentioned. So you can find it before Exodus 2 or after Exodus 2. But in Exodus 2, it doesn't say any females' names. And my first thought was are you kidding me right now? Like these women do these awesome things and their name is not even in this chapter. I seriously was not we were in Montana and I was studying. I'm like, are you joking me? Like for real? I texted my mom. Um, but you know what? I think that that's pretty significant. And here's why is because I think that we can relate to that. There's things in our life that often feel like maybe they go unnoticed or unnamed Or that maybe we should have got credit for and we didn't get credit for. Um, And I think that all of us in here can relate to that. Um, You know, I think about all the things that we do as women, as moms, um, that seem pretty ordinary or mundane or things that we just feel like we need to do. The first thing that comes to mind is laundry. Like we do so much laundry. I'm not even a mom and I don't know how I have so much laundry. Like it's insane. We produce a lot of laundry. So I do a lot of laundry. Seems kind of, you know, ordinary. Maybe it's um, taking kids to school or reading bedtime stories or playing with grandkids or um, working, changing diapers, all these different things that seem like it's just things that we need to do and pretty ordinary. And what I find that is very interesting interesting is that in this story of Moses, most of us probably know this story because we've read it or heard it. And in the story, I can only imagine that Jochebed and um, the Pharaoh's daughter was probably just doing what they felt was necessary or what they needed to do. But then thousands of, you know, years later, we're reading this going, that's not ordinary. And that's just not a necessity. That's extraordinary. And so I think that, you know, we need to hear that today, that what we do that sometimes feels like, just things that we got to do. They're, it's pretty extraordinary, and raising up the next generation is is not ordinary at all, but very heroic. Um, and you know, the next Moses is the next um, people, and so you know, these things that that happen that you know we can belittle ourselves um, and to think it's just things that we need to do, and there are those hidden things that. You know, we don't maybe talk about, or that maybe we didn't get credit for. But on the flip side, there's also things that maybe we hide in our heart, and maybe it's emotions or things that seem too sensitive, so we just kind of tuck it away and we deal with it inside of our heart, or maybe things that would be too vulnerable to talk about. And um, as I was preparing for this, I found that probably today is one of those one of those days for some people in this room on Mother's Day, potentially hiding real emotions that may come with Mother's Day that could be painful. Maybe it's because there's strained relationships between um, maybe a child or your own mom. Um, maybe you there's people in here that have desired to have kids but haven't been able to. Um, and I know that there's moms in here that um, have lost babies or have babies in heaven, No you know whatever their the reason may be. And So I just wanted to take a moment, because I understand that that could be painful, and just say Happy Mother's Day to you. Um, this, this Mother's Day, um, I find that vulnerability can be very hard, but it's healing. And I think that we always have to step out. And just because maybe our story's not done or we're still living in it and dealing with those things that are painful doesn't mean that we can't share them and maybe walk alongside, so, uh, walk alongside someone who's going through that. Um, so this Mother's Day, I find myself loving this day because I have an awesome mom and I know a lot of strong moms in here. But for, for myself personally, it's been a day that's, you know, pretty painful and grieving this year for me. Um, In the past eight months, I've had two miscarriages. Um, One in October, um, we found out that we were pregnant, me and my husband, and The the day after we found out, um, my whole family was gone, and so I was kind of like secretly excited because I get to like Pinterest how I'm going to tell people and like tell my husband, and I was very excited. And the next morning, I woke up to um, what is not normal. You just know in your gut is not normal. Um, And later, a couple days later, found out that I had miscarried at five weeks. And with that, there comes a lot of um, healing and a lot of different emotions. Um, And I'm still in the process of healing. I'm not. I'm not, it's not over yet. Um, but there's a lot of different emotions that come with that. And so we were, um, advised to, you know, wait two months to, to maybe try again. And so we did, we waited two months and right away we got pregnant again and it was very exciting. And of course with that, there was, you know, fear because of what we had been through and, um, but, but but we were excited and we were kind of, we didn't want the enemy to steal our joy in celebrating. And so, um, we had started telling some family and you know re- really close friends, and we went to our eight-week appointment and um, got to see the ultrasound and that that little heartbeat. Um, and then you know after eight weeks, it's um, or it's advised for moms to you know wait 12 weeks because that's more of the safe zone of when to tell people. Um, your rate of miscarriage goes down quite a bit. Um, and so you know we got our pictures done, all these different things, celebrating, and we went to our 12-week appointment and. Um, and the ultrasound tech, you know, told us that it didn't look normal and that we had actually miscarried a couple weeks prior, but just my body hadn't really told me that it had. Um, and so, in the... Uh, With that, you know, there's a lot of healing, and there, and I'm still in the process of that. And it's um, probably safe to say that there's probably people in here that maybe, maybe can't relate exactly in that form, but there's something that maybe has been painful or um, that makes us stay a little bit harder. And um, it's it's okay that we're in a process, and you know, maybe your pain doesn't look exactly like mine, but you can relate. And I wish that I could sit up here and tell you that I know why things happen the way that they do, and why those things happen, and I I, I don't understand, and I, I don't fully know, um, but what I do know is that God is good in every season, and in things that seem painful, and like, why would this happen that he is still good, and he turns all things into good, and that my story and your story is not over and it's not done, but but he is still good. And so um, often when we go through hard things, I'm sure you know that we learn things, and sometimes we wish that we didn't have to learn them the way that we do, but we learn things. And so I wanted to just share something today that I learned... Um, just during this whole, this whole season. And um, it's something that I know that is a characteristic that God um, instills in each one of us. And sometimes we do, you know, have to go through something or we just kind of have to dig it out of the depths in our heart. And that um, is empathy. And empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And I'm in a process of learning how to live a life full of empathy because, um, just to be honest, I, you know, it's not something that I really thought too much about until I received it um, a lot. I received it a lot. And I personally received it just when I felt very broken. I received it from my husband and my mom and family and friends and people who just gathered around me. And I learned a couple things that I want to share about empathy. And the first one is that empathy doesn't compare pain. It doesn't say Well, I've been through worse, so you're going to get through it. Or, you know, there's people that are going through worse, so just keep on, you know, keeping on. Um, And, of course, you know, those things can be encouraging, but empathy gets down on the level with somebody and tries to understand what they're going through. And even if they don't say anything, they're just there on that level, Empathy for me um, in the in season looked like um, that, that week that we had found out that we had miscarried. Me and my husband, were, we were headed to Walla Walla to go on a conference for G3 for, with our youth. And we had found out, um, I think, about like two or three hours before we were supposed to leave. And um, empathy looked like my husband saying, you know what, you're not, you're not going to go. We'll figure it out, and somebody actually took my place and um, stepped up, and that was empathy to me, and it was him saying, you know what? You don't have to go. You don't have to continue to just keep going. You can stay here, and I'll go, and he was in the middle of grieving as well, just because it's, you know, it might be my, my body. We're a team, just like in everything else. That was the same thing that we are grieving together. But he said, "You know what? You stay, and I'll go." Um, empathy looked like in that season, or in that in those couple of days. My my mom, um, planning one of the the bigger events um, at at heart of the city, and it's a ladies luncheon. And it was two days before, or two days after, I'd found out. And it and it empathy looked like her stopping what she was doing, even though she probably had a lot of phone calls and a lot of things to put together for the centerpieces and all these different things and stopping just to be with me because that's what I needed in that, in that moment. Um, empathy looked like homemade soup from my aunt who came over the next morning and sat with me and just was there. And even though maybe we didn't know what to say really, um, it was part of the healing process. Um, empathy looked like um, you know, different moms looking at me um, with that look that says, I get it. Maybe I, you know, I've been there. Um, it looked like the nurse that I had met twice um, finding me before I left, and the ultrasound tech as well finding me, crying with me before I before I left the the doctor's office. Um, my husband said it when we were talking about this. He said it best when he said empathy gets down in the dirt when it wasn't you who life knocked down, um, and I believe that as women and mamas, we have this. In us, like and as humans, all of us, we have this in us. And sometimes it's just getting past maybe the awkwardness or the, the the feeling of, I don't know what to say. I actually just encountered that. I there was somebody and something had, you know, really horrible happened, and I almost just walked away because I didn't know what to say. But instead, it's like you don't even have to say anything, just go up to them, maybe hug them or whatever they need in that moment. Um, in Romans 12:15 it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep. Um, Empathy doesn't just grieve with one another, but it also celebrates victories with one another. It it doesn't say, just like the, the comparing pain, it doesn't compare victories and say, you know, well, I've done better, or I wish that your victory looked like my victory, or whatever it may be. It just celebrates that you had a win. That means it's a win for me too. Um, and it grieves together if that is a season that, that it calls for. And empathy stops. And what I love is that in the, in the Bible, you'll find time after time when Jesus stops for somebody, um, whether it's, you know, blind Bartimaeus or the woman at the well goes out of his way to stop. So I know that as mamas and women, we are called to rally around each other. Um, We're called to be like Jochebed and Pharaoh's daughter. They might have not even known that they were working together, (laughs) but they were working together. And that's what we're called to do is be there with, with one another through really good times and times that seem... Maybe unbearable or or really hard. Um, we support each other, and this weekend it's called um, you know rad moms, and we call out the radness in another. I don't think that's a word, but it is now. We call we call out the radness in another mom because. I can't even imagine what all, you know, all the moms in here have been through, but sometimes I think we just need to be reminded that we're pretty rad, that we're doing a good job, that we're pretty awesome, and so we need to tell each other that you're doing good. You're going to get through it. You're going to get through those teenage years or whatever it may may be, but you're you're rad, and so that's what we're called to do, and so um, you know, and I just believe that that even that that look. I, I've been so just thinking about that that sometimes it's not even words, but it's a look that just says you got this. And it's not because we got this, but it's because he's got this, and he knows more than we know. And I'm so thankful for that that he knows the rest of our story. He knows those things that maybe we don't talk about because it is hard. And he knows those things that are just hidden. Those prayers for our kids and um, for for different people in our lives. And so. Um